Good morning, wonderful Grace Vineyard and friends following us on YouTube or on our church website. We are introducing a new sermon series this morning, following Jesus' teachings on what has come to be called the Sermon on the Mount, as set out in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5, 6 and 7. The reason we have chosen to examine and discuss these chapters is because they describe the kingdom of God as their main theme. Too many followers of Christ seem to have lost the dynamic promise that we have been transferred into the living kingdom ruled by the King of Kings. This is in spite of Jesus' own teaching, which began with an emphasis on the kingdom. Let's just set the scene from two verses in chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel. Verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 23. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus' teaching was full of references to God's kingdom and without a doubt, the kingdom was an important subject to the king. We do well to remember that the kingdom is both a reality for here and now and a promise to be inherited. It is a life to be lived today and a future to be anticipated. It is the blessing of today, the hope of tomorrow. For too many believers, the reality of the kingdom here now is missed as they wait for the coming kingdom. The coming kingdom signals the end of the mission of God, but we cannot forget the personal and corporate implications of Christ's current reign. We are the visible examples of the invisible kingdom. Our obedience to the scriptures our life and community, the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in us, and our love for our Saviour bears witness to those who don't yet know him. It is our responsibility to help others come to know King Jesus, his atoning death and resurrected glory. As you follow this series of teachings, can you evaluate the reality of God's kingdom in your own life? Are the ethics of the kingdom your ethics? Are the values of the kingdom your values? Is the kingdom of God the thing you are seeking first? If so, this is a great place to be encouraged. If not, this is a great place to start. So let us begin. It was Saint Augustine in the 14th century who gave the name Sermon on the Mount to Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapters five to seven, 
and it is a title that has stuck ever since. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to demonstrate the kind of teaching and the kind of living with regard to character and conduct that should govern the people of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The law could not produce this kind of living because of our sinful natures, but God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans 8, 4. The general theme of the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of heaven. It is important to point out here that the kingdom of heaven is a phrase used by Matthew instead of the kingdom of God in deference to his mainly Jewish readers to avoid mentioning the sacred name of God. John the Baptist in Matthew 3.2 used these same words when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The particular theme of the sermon is the way the Mosaic law was to be fulfilled and applied by believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us begin with the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, known as the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude comes from the Latin, meaning happy or blessed, a state of supreme happiness. Perhaps as we go through the Beatitudes, we will be reminded of the attitude we need to have to live supremely happy and blessed. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, verses 1 to 3. Jesus saw the vast crowd of people eager for him to speak, and his heart went out to them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What a wonderful teaching opportunity to share the kingdom with them. The mountain he went up was probably on the southern slopes of the Chorazin Plateau on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee between Capernaum and the archaeological site of Gennesaret. From this elevated position he could easily be seen and heard. Sitting down to teach was the custom of Jewish rabbis but Jesus was also sitting in the seat of authority as the legislator of the kingdom of heaven. He was the king, seated in the midst of his subjects. Although there was a crowd that had gathered, Jesus was talking to his disciples. They came to him. As Christians, followers or disciples of Jesus, this sermon speaks directly to us. 
This is how we are to live. This is the way we are to behave. This is how we can be like Jesus. It is as relevant to us today as it was to his disciples then. When Matthew uses the phrase, he opened his mouth and taught them, it seems a bit redundant. How can you teach without opening your mouth? Answer, it was a Hebrew idiom indicating something of great importance was about to be uttered. The Beatitudes start with the word blessed. This is such a picture of God's love for us right there. In fact, the word bless in all its forms appears over 500 times in the Bible. His desire is to bless us. If we live a life of following Jesus' teachings in these chapters, we will live blessed and happy. This does not depend on our circumstances, but on a loving, trusting and obedient relationship with our Heavenly Father. Perhaps Jesus' teaching could actually be summed up in two words, believe and blessed. The time has come, he, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark 1.15 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 Nine times in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are. Not blessed were, or blessed will be, but blessed are. This is present tense. This is now. The blessing is for us today. It is as real for us today as it was to the disciples who heard it then. We are blessed. If you remember nothing else from today's message, please remember this. You are blessed. Now we come to the more difficult part to understand. Who are the poor in spirit and what does it mean? Those who are poor in spirit recognize their brokenness and their need for God in their lives. They are no longer proud or haughty, believing only in themselves and their ability to achieve whatever they want, but have become humble, placing their trust in God. Jesus is basically saying that only those who do not rely on their own goodness will be granted entrance into God's kingdom. It is not an appeal to deny our worth as human beings, but to recognize our sin and desperate need for salvation. Corum Deo, living before the face of God. This is so how I want to live my life. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus himself demonstrated an attitude of being poor in spirit. In Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, 
taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There is an important question I want to answer before moving on. Why is this particular beatitude, one of being poor in spirit, listed first? The answer, it demonstrates that the way up is down, that we must begin at the very bottom, taking the lowest seat, humbling ourselves and being humbled if we want to enter and inherit the kingdom of heaven. It is the foundation of God's upside-down kingdom. Subsequent beatitudes may be called the superstructure, proceeding from brokenness to mourning to meekness, etc. is like climbing a ladder. We begin with brokenness on our spiritual journey and we end up with being peacemakers and being persecuted for righteousness sake. But we start with being poor in spirit. The foundation for inheritance in the kingdom then is the opposite of pride, haughtiness and a feeling of self-worth and arrogance, the unholy trinity of me, myself and I. Jesus declared that the people who possess the wonderful kingdom of heaven are those who are spiritually poor, who have nothing to offer apart from empty hands. We need to come to Jesus in absolute weakness, knowing we are totally dependent on him. The moment arrogance and pride creep in, we spoil everything. From first to last, we are dependent on our loving and gracious Heavenly Father. The second part of this beatitude reads, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is in the present tense. Theirs is, not theirs was or theirs will be, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven, here, now on earth, right where we are. There is still a coming kingdom when Jesus returns, but the kingdom came with him when he came to earth. It's what we say in the vineyard when we talk about the now and not yet of the kingdom. Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven as such six times in the Sermon on the Mount. He calls it his kingdom in Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And he refers to the kingdom in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come. It is not a physical place you can go to, but the kingdom of heaven is within the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Jesus explains this in Luke 17, 20 and 21. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, 
Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. When we live like Jesus, which we can only do by the power of the Holy Spirit, we inhabit the kingdom, the realm where Jesus rules and reigns. He becomes the king of our hearts. We are his subjects when we follow him and obey his teachings. To inherit the kingdom then is to enjoy the blessing and the conscious indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Towards the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus explained that the kingdom of heaven would be invisible. Everybody, including the disciples, thought Jesus would overthrow Rome and put Israel on the map. It was invisible, yet inhabitable. It was for the poor in spirit. It was theirs, and you could enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' teachings were full of paradoxes, and his talk of this upside-down kingdom was confusing to those who expected something completely different. The truth was, his kingdom was internal, residing in the hearts of believers by the indwelling Holy Spirit, and it was inherited. You can only inherit something when someone dies, and nobody could inherit the kingdom of God until Jesus died. Jesus' death and resurrection was so we could live in his kingdom here and now and forever. The kingdom of heaven comes where God is allowed to be in control. And amazingly, that can happen in our lives today, which is why Jesus encouraged us to pray for his kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven gives us a preview of what heaven itself will be like, and it is, by definition, life at its very best. I will end now with a quote from that great preacher, Dr. Lloyd-Jones. Here is the life to which we are called. If only every Christian in the church today were living the Sermon on the Mount, the great revival for which we are praying and longing could already have started. Amazing and astounding things would happen. The world would be shocked and men and women would be attracted to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I hope this has given you a taste of what is to come and inspired you to evaluate the reality of God's kingdom in your own life. Please join the breakout rooms now and don't duck out. This is not about coming to church, hearing a message and going home. We are the church. We need to be in relationship with each other, sharing our thoughts and feelings, doing life together and learning from one another. Those that are pushing into the church, chatting in breakout rooms, joining connect groups, 
being in contact with one another outside of meetings are the ones who will take the church into the new future we will experience when we can gather together once again. The lone wolves will drop by the wayside. Please don't be a lone wolf, but part of the family of grace, so we can grow in strength and faith and love for God and one another. Let us pray. In the words of Jesus, when the disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, now and forever. Amen.